content warning for this entry. Uh, this entry discusses bestiality, sexual violence and death in some detail. There's also a mention of child abuse. Well, here we are. The truly taboo. This substack has, so far, looked at tickling fetishes, piss play and erotic hypnosis. Fetishes that are seen as unusual or niche in vanilla contexts, but none that would render one ostracised if you were to admit to it. Bestiality, however, carries that weight. Bestiality became a specific offence in the UK alongside necrophilia, which is having sex with dead bodies, in 2003, with revisions to the Sexual Offences Act. Previously, bestiality had been categorised under buggery in its 1861 Offences Against the Person Act, which categorised bestiality alongside anal sex between men. This newsletter is not going to address the ethics of bestiality or whether animals can meaningfully consent to sex acts. The topic is too large and too complicated to address in such a short space, and has been covered by Jeanne Burke in her fantastic book Loving Animals, which is linked in the article below. The challenge for me is how to speak about the unspeakable, a fetish so taboo that even acknowledging its existence is difficult. We can possibly pretend that uncomfortable or difficult things do not happen, or if they do, happen in isolated incidents by people we don't know and will never know. It's much harder to acknowledge the truly taboo existing in our community, as it so often does. For millennials like myself, our first exposure to bestiality was likely in the form of a video titled Mr. Hands that circulated school corridors in the late 2000s. The combination of video and Bluetooth-enabled phones becoming accessible to teenagers and the largely unregulated internet of the era meant a teen canon of gross-out porn emerged. Videos were circulated in canteens and classrooms by kids holding their phones under their desks, waiting for the painfully slow Bluetooth transfer. Mr. Hands was one of those videos, alongside Two Girls, One Cup and Goatse, names I imagine many millennials will recognise. The video featured a man being anally penetrated by a horse penis. I've not watched the video since I was a teenager, but I still remember the barn setting, the man's body illuminated by a torch, and of course the horse standing behind him. The rumour was that the man had died after the video was taken and the horse penis had killed him. What we did not know as 14-year-olds on the Isle of Man was that the video we were watching was part of a far wider moral panic that unfolded in Washington State, USA in 2005. The video was actually of a man named Kenneth Pinion, an engineer at Boeing and a divorced father, who had been part of a horse sex ring visiting the small town of Emonclaw from Oak Harbor, a two-hour drive away. Pinion had visited the town in 2005, which was renowned for its love of horses and its horse culture. Burke describes the incident that followed. Late on the evening of 1st of July 2005, on a farm just 8 kilometres or 5 miles northwest of Emonclaw, 45-year-old Boeing engineer and doting father Kenneth Pinion was anally penetrated by a stallion known colloquially as Big Dick. Early the following morning, a friend, subsequently identified as James Michael Tate, dumped his pulseless body at the community hospital. Pinion died of acute peritonitis due to a perforated colon. Following the incident and its coverage in the national press, there was a public outcry that Tate could not be prosecuted for bestiality as no specific law against bestiality existed in Washington. 
Under state law, the physical abuse of animals was an offence, but prosecutors could not argue that any animals had been harmed. State politicians found that bestiality used to be illegal in the state under anti-sodomy, under anti-sodomy laws, much like the UK. And on their appeal in 1976, the state had also inadvertently decriminalised bestiality alongside homosexual sex. Tate was eventually charged with trespassing and forbidden from going into his neighbour's barn again. What followed was a scrambling to, crimin to criminalise bestiality. On 1st of February 2006, the Senate voted unanimously to make bestiality a crime, though, as Burke writes, some senators would not actually sign the bill because they found the idea of bestiality too repugnant to even think about. The senators' condemnation of bestiality as too repugnant to discuss, even while criminalising it, is demonstrative of the double consciousness that occurs around the truly taboo. In order to punish something, we must also acknowledge that it exists, but certain acts such as bestiality or child abuse come so far outside of social norms that even to acknowledge they occur is to jeopardise is to jeopardise the fantasy that they don't. The contradiction is that these acts are not vanishingly rare. In the 1950s, US-based sexologist Dr Alfred Kinsey claimed that 8% of males and 4% of females had at least one sexual experience with an animal, while for males who worked on farms, that number grew to 17%. In the UK, there were 27 people convicted under the Sexual Offences Act, of having sex with an animal between 2007 and 2016, according to a Freedom of Information request submitted to the Ministry of Justice. The amount of people convicted for bestiality will, as we know, be far smaller than the amount of people actually engaging in it. The case of Mr Hans is not unique, but the legislative and social reaction to it is indicative of how the truly taboo is both criminalised and the subject of absolute denial. Even while the existence of bestiality was considered too repugnant to think about, the video of Mr Hans found its way into the phones of British and Manx teenagers as a kind of ghostly afterlife opinion. The taboo can be criminalised and denied, but it cannot be eradicated.